the humanities and social sciences. Welcome to another episode of Oh the Humanities and Social Sciences, the hashtag hashchat podcast. In this episode, I'm joined by Jocelyn Brewer, who is going to be looking at digital nutrition. In this episode, I'm joined by Jocelyn Brewer. Jocelyn, welcome to the show. Thank you. Hello. Um, so, look, Jocelyn, uh, great, uh, great sort of topic lined up for today's episode, looking at uh, digital nutrition, uh, cyber psychology. However, before we get started, can you give the listeners a bit of an outline about who you are? Oh, who am I? Um, well, I am a psychologist and a teacher. So my day job, I guess, is as a school counsellor in the New South Wales Department of Ed. So I got into this work when I was retraining about 11 or 12 years ago uh, to become a school counsellor. And I was just really fascinated with, um, yeah, kids and technology and the digital education revolution and all of that kind of thing. So here I am years later, um, a little bit away from the department at the moment, uh, trying to write up my master's research and um, I guess just sort of spread the word about the kind of medium online or not having to completely unplug in order to get some um, sort of what I call, I guess, digital nutrition and, and health around how we use technology. Okay, now, so so what are you doing your master's research on? Is it is still in this sort of uh, realm here, or are you doing something totally different? Or no, it's absolutely in this realm. So I kicked it off four years ago. I had a baby in between. Um, don't I mean not that I don't recommend having a baby. I don't recommend having a baby while trying to um, do study. Uh, so basically, what I did is I surveyed a bunch of kids in Year Seven um, about how they use their smartphones, about how their parents monitor their smartphones and their self-control skills. So we're basically looking at kind of mapping how kids get support with um, or guidelines on their um, smartphone use and their ability to control themselves and seeing what the relationships with those things are. So long story okay. short, uh, if you have a parent who doesn't really trust you, you're probably going to be more likely to develop problematic uses of your phone and not have as much self-control as parents who were um, sort of more actively engaged in their kids' online activities. Okay, and so this this kind of leads into what we're going to look at here in terms of, um, you know, it's a new school year. Uh, how can we – well, first, before we start, can you, what, what is digital nutrition? Sure, yeah. So digital nutrition is basically something that I made up when I was live on the radio about six years ago because lots of people were talking about digital detoxing and this whole idea that, you know, we didn't need to completely unplug and go on these, you know, holidays where we weren't accessing our phones. And to me that was a really um, unhelpful, ineffective and, and just kind of like the wrong words to use with um, what we're actually trying to say which is having a healthy relationship with technology so in that moment I kind of threw the words digital and nutrition together to start talking about you know really the analogy of foods um, and the relationship that we might have with food to apply to what we consume through information online so I guess it's not just about the device the device itself is fairly um, neutral yes it can be designed to be pervasive and persuasive but um, really it's about the apps and games and then the information and cognitions we consume through those so um, yeah thinking about virtual vitamins thinking about how do we get beyond counting digital calories which is basically screen time and our obsession with screen time as opposed to things like the quality and the uh, 
context, the quality of the content and the context that we consume um, those activities in. So, yeah, it's um, still a work in progress. You know, if you asked me seven years ago what would it look like by now, I would like say I have like a whole philosophy and books and resources and I, I don't quite have that yet. <laughs> it's all still in my head. And let's go off that. In seven years from now, what do you think it'll look like? Look, I, I absolutely think that there's this whole movement towards um, what's being called medium online or, you know, actually being able to balance the way that we are intentionally and intelligently plugged in. I'm just one person that's, I guess, a part of that movement. The main person that you hear about is Tristan Harris um, and his uh, Centre for Humane Technology. But I think increasingly we as humans are more savvy to how technology has been designed and where it fits in our lives. Um, so we are, you know, I would hope by in, you know, seven years' time, by the time I have a 10-year-old, that when we're asking a lot better questions around um, what we, you know, sometimes just click away in, in terms of our privacy, our data, um, the impact of, of information and how information is sort of created and disseminated, how we trust things. Um, all of those kind of, you know, I guess the, the tech backlash and, and getting back into um, a bit of a course correction. Okay. And um, before we, we, we start talking, uh, is there a PhD on the, um, in the uh, no, sort of... No, I can't even finish a master's. So I have promised myself that I will not attempt a PhD until I'm well and truly, you know, finished with this master's and built some of the things um, through my business that I, I want to do. Um, I've got so many ideas in my head that, um, yeah, short and sweet. I'm a short and sweet kind of thing. I just don't, I'm, I don't think I have the stamina for a PhD, much to my supervisor's um, disappointment. Okay. Um, so let's get back to what, um, before I got sort of thrown off topic and, and mm -hmm. back to what we're going to talk about. Um, okay. So it's start of a new school year. Um, what, what sort of tips or strategies, let's start with parents before we look at, at teachers or even students themselves. Um, can you offer to sort of, uh, as you said, sort of count the, the digital calories you call them? Yeah. Yeah. So look, start of the new school year, everyone's bright and shiny and making lots of promises about how they're going to be, you know, lots of resolutions, um, around the kind of maybe student they will be or parent they will be or how the year's going to go. So Part of that is calling BS on, you know, um, being, I guess, a bit too optimistic and not realistic enough. Um, and then uh, setting up really clear guidelines and boundaries around, um, I guess, beyond just that screen time, what it looks like um, to use your your phone or your computer or whatever in um, a, a kind of positive way. So that might look like making sure um you know, you've done your offline homework or you've done all the chores that you need to in your family, um, that parents have really clear expectations of what that would look like. Um, I think a lot of the time parents aren't explicit enough in what getting off your phone means because kids are like, yeah, if I get off my phone, then what do I do? And um, it generally means please go and walk the dog, please go and, you know, do these things that help the, the family kind of hum along. Um, 
So I, I do think that a lot of the time it's, it's about stop behaviours, like stop doing this rather than talking about what we want kids to be doing instead. So, um, you know, it really needs to look a little bit more like um, a values-driven conversation, like what do you value in your, in your home? You value kids who are fit and healthy, for instance. So that might look like a certain amount of um, physical activity or organised sport or whatever that might be. So really, I guess, taking the, the um, pressure off all of the um, stuff to do with technology and, and placing it more firmly on um, the whole family system. That was a long, long answer. <laughs> Sorry. So thank, thanks for that. Um, thanks for that answer. Um, now we've looked at what families can do, but what what can students or all the kids themselves do in order to be more cognizant of of their um, of their their screen time or their digital use? Yeah. Look, that's a that's a tr- a good question and a tricky one because I think it puts the onus on young people to um, you know be aware of all of this stuff, and it's usually. Um, us as adults giving them the agenda. So uh, a lot of it is really, and and what kids I find um, love, is understanding some of the things that sit behind um, game and app design, um, the whole kind of movement of pervasive and um, design and and kind of hacking their attention, Um, the amount of research and development that goes into um, some of those little bits and pieces that keep us quite hooked and distracted, uh, kids kind of find really um, amazing. You know, that's one of the jobs of the future, I guess, is is behavioural um, uh, psychologists who who design some of these things. Um, uh, and there's a there's a guy called BJ Fogg who has a lab at Stanford. You can actually do a course with him that'll teach you all of those psych hacks. You can read his book too that's just come out. So um, I guess what kids can do is actually sometimes make their own agreements within their crew or their group because a lot of what's happening is those massive group chats or um, you know, just being online for really long periods of time and kids don't want to um, miss out. They don't want to um, not be a part of those conversations. Whereas if the peer group actually says, okay, we're all going to agree that we're offline and that we're not actually um, going to miss out on stuff, you know, maybe between when we get home until seven o'clock and then it might be a pile on kind of like, you know, a conference call. A conference call happens at a particular time rather than, you know, people jump in and out of the conference call because it's all done by text. So in Increasingly, I think it's about peer groups making their own little contracts, not just families and households having those sort of guidelines and agreements. Seems a bit Pollyanna sometimes, but, you know, we're going to try. We're going to start somewhere. Yeah, and look, this all ties in very well to what's happening in schools at the moment. So families and, and students, I guess, are, are sort of two, uh, two out of the three um, sort of, you know, keys here because you can't really uh, – I guess discount what uh, what happens in the classroom because kids do spend you know the most of their time there. Um, a, a while ago, um, I actually did an activity in uh, one of my year eight geography classes. We were learning about interconnections, and I had them all put their mobile phone out on the table. Um, you know, don't touch it, don't look at it, um, because you know we're at my school. You're not allowed to have your phone out during the day, etc. Um, so I said, don't touch it, don't you know, don't provoke people to um, message you. Don't you know, don't do anything all I want you to do is during the lesson a 60 minute lesson every time you get a notification for something pop your hand up and I think by the end of that and what's the year right about 13 14 year olds maybe yeah. um in that space of about um in the space of about um you know one hour I think we got about um 200 and something snapchat messages a couple of hundred you know facebook messages 
um, a whole bunch of Instagram messages. Uh, you know, it, it was actually quite, um, it's actually quite alarming, really. Yeah, uh, the amount of notifications yeah. I got, and we're competing with that. Yeah, absolutely. And but we don't have to, right? So the simple um, act of switching off notifications is a very powerful one. It's the first kind of strategy that I give people. Now, by now, a lot of people have done that. A lot of people have deleted. Um, you know, particular apps off their phone. So they're just not as um, tempting. Uh, but again, it's the pull for young people to actually be a part of those conversations. Um, and it knows no, no boundaries. We also kind of have this thing in our head that we have to be completely responsive. Like if you don't reply to a text message within 13 seconds, you're, you know, somehow not friends with that person anymore, or you don't care. Parents have a very kind of similar expectation. Like don't text your friends in class, but if I text you to tell you that your violin lessons cancelled, make sure you reply to me straight away. So, you know, kids get a lot of mixed messages about that kind of netiquette or, you know, online etiquette or playbook that they're supposed to follow along with. And a lot of it's just driven by wanting to be accepted, liked, belong, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, look, notifications and they're always on super connectedness is, is one of those challenges, absolutely. Yeah, and the, you touched on it before, the FOMO, the fear of missing out. You, yeah. We live in a society where we want information, we want everything as instantly as possible. We don't want to be left out of something. Yeah, but And that's not that new. Like my three-year-old gets FOMO because she doesn't want to stop playing or doing what she's doing to go to the bathroom, you know, even though she knows she should. It's sort of like, no, mommy, I'm in the middle of things. Oops, and now I've wet my pants, right? That's, that's FOMO and it's very basic. Yeah. Um, being Wanting to be a part of stuff and belong was key to our survival because if we actually didn't belong to our group, we, we potentially wouldn't be safe from the predators we wouldn't necessarily share in the bounty when somebody um you know killed the animal that we all got to um share you know and 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 kind of it was part of you know our food sources so there's there, there's some interesting uh, i guess evolutionary biology that plays into the fact that you know it's, we share our food on instagram and that's that's the way that we show our status and our belonging and where we're at and all of that kind of thing so um yeah, it's it's a tricky one and I think we, we kind of just need to uh, – Or part of what I do, I guess, in my presentations is explain to kids how their brains work, how their brains develop, and then how technology is designed, I guess, to um, – hijack is a bit of a salacious word, but, you know, get in there and want them to – to want them to come away from, um, you know, maybe the learning that they're doing or the stuff that really matters uh, and then be a part of that community constantly. So um, they're they're quite surprised, I guess, sometimes when they learn some of the hacks and tricks and the way that, you know, it's really just a massive surveillance and marketing um, platform that they're being a part of. It's not really social, even though their experience of it is is that. Yeah. So what what can teachers do then? Um, in order to, I wouldn't say compete with the attentions of students mm. because you shouldn't have to compete with technology in order to do your job, really. Yeah, I guess. I, mean, um, reality, what, I think that a lot of teachers. What, what can they do? Yeah, I think a lot of teachers have the mindset that they have to compete with the, you know, shiny, engaging, pinging, dinging, swiping machine that um, I think being building relationships with young people, like if we go back to one of the things that, that we're seeking and one of the things that is absolutely central is a sense of being, um, a sense of belonging and the, a sense of being heard or received you know those teachers that um, just really got you? There were always some who didn't get you and who were on your back for the wrong reasons. Um, 
But then the teachers who really got it and could really kind of understand you and you felt kind of, it sounds a bit, you know, um, weird, but you, you, you felt whole and complete when you were around that person. Um, so yeah. I think the relationships that teachers have the opportunity to build with young people by bringing curiosity to, you know, their online practices, by kind of giving them the benefit of the doubt a lot of times um, is, is a way that we can do that. So, you know, a, a cute example might be um, I heard about these students who got into a lot of trouble because they were filming uh, a teacher's lesson. And this teacher went off at them. Um, when somebody actually stopped and asked these kids why they were filming the lesson, their response was, you know, Jessica was sick and she really didn't want to miss this class. So we were actually live streaming it to her so she didn't miss out. So rather than kind of taking the perspective of you're doing something wrong, let's go punish that, coming to it from I'm wondering what you're doing with your phone, I'm wondering, you know, what's going on here is a really interesting relationship building tool that we have that requires no technology at all. The most actually requires a really important piece of technology called our brain and our, um, you know, prefrontal cortex where we can actually stop and um, have a think about how to approach those things. So, um, again, it's a little bit Pollyanna-ish sometimes. I hear myself saying these things, but I think there's power in the simplicity of some of these um, things that I think we forget when we're so stressed out with so many other things. Um, you know, how do we build better relationships with the, with the most tricky kids or the kids who are most likely to press our button or, you know, bend some rules? Yeah, and, and, and this segues quite nicely into uh, a, a really hot button issue of mobile phones in schools you know to should they be banned or should they be allowed or is there a middle ground where we can you know make everybody i mean you're never going to get everyone happy at the same time but what's 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 the best you know case scenario we can have here yeah look i i think the first problem is the one of the word ban um because it takes away uh the efficacy of young people as stakeholders in their own learning to actually have a say when you actually stop and ask young people what they would like uh, in terms of their smartphone or what they do with their smartphone and whether it's that important that they have it most of them would be like no it's okay for us to not have access to it but thank you for asking and here's what we would like to do so the schools that are actually bothering to do some of that stakeholder engagement and creating what i call a choose to use policy rather than a banning policy are the ones that i think will have the best outcomes it might still be the same thing as in putting restrictions and guidelines um, and some rules in place around you know that maybe you are allowed to check your phone but you do it at your locker if your school is lucky enough to have lockers um and that it's limited to you know a short check that's functional and then you move on to doing the other things that you need to do as opposed to you know really draconian if i see it it's going into a safe for three weeks and your parents will have to come up and sign you know all of that kind of stuff um because i don't think very many school leaders and you know dps or whoever's managing this stuff signed up as a teacher to go, yeah, I'd really like to be a technology police person and I'd really like to ruin a whole bunch of um, trust and relationships with young people over the issue of their phones. Um, so uh, absolutely there needs to be some guidelines because we know it is, you know, quite distract distracting um, and that, 
it's just too much of a temptation that young people don't have the brain architecture and the, the development in place to overcome a lot of that temptation quite regularly um, and it takes a long time to build some of that. But, um, you know, and, and staging some of that. So obviously, you know, kids in Year 7 um, might need really different uh, guidelines to help them make the transition into Year 7. It's a massive shift from a peer perspective and their friendship groups. It's a massive shift from a learning perspective and just a logistical one. So I guess Year 7 is a really interesting example of um, where I would suggest, you know, really clear and differentiated guidelines because kids are coming in with um, – really new peer groups or you know their peer groups generally have to be re-established from primary school whole new learning environments whole new expectations around the use of technology so suddenly they they might find themselves with a byod laptop as well as they've got their um a smartphone for the first time increasingly that's earlier and earlier than year seven anyway but um yeah so thinking about putting um supporting young people to um, build those new friendship groups and have things to do in the playground, not just kind of wander around like lost, lonely souls trying to, you know, connect with with others. Um, we really need to think about how we um, support young people to do things offline um, rather than just say, well, you can't have your phone, but, you know, here's a concrete jungle, um, nothing else to do. Uh, I visited a school in New Zealand last year that when they decided to put restrictions on mobile phones, they did it in conjunction with building a BMX track and a rock climbing wall, which I thought was um, super cool and the, the kids obviously absolutely love. So Year 7 really, really different to then senior students who hopefully by then have developed um, a little bit more self-regulation and control around, you know, how they use technology, even what technology they're using. By now they're kind of over a lot of the social media anyway. Um, it's not as bright and shiny as getting Instagram when you're, when you're 13. Um, yeah, and they're hopefully a bit more focused in um, on their studies and what they want to do post-school and they're, they're linking in and building traction with their goals. So. Yeah, different courses for courses. Every school is different. Um, that's why I think a one-size-fits-all policy and, you know, BYOD policies, which are, you know, long lists of misdemeanours are really missing the mark. Yeah, look, Jocelyn, um, as we wind up, any final words you want to leave to, um, you know, parents, teachers, students, education ministers, whatever it is, now's your time to to, to, to say it. Oh, look, I think everyone needs a bit of a dose of the critical and creative thinking capability, to be honest. Um, I feel like we're really losing the ability to keep it clever um, and be sort of edgy and dynamic with our thinking because we're so sucked into a lot of the rhetoric, a lot of the superficial arguments that do the rounds, you know, sometimes via Twitter, sometimes in other places. Uh, especially around young people and technology and these risks and dangers, which no one is really quantifying particularly well yet because we're, um, we still haven't worked out well, to some degree. There's not, there's not a lot of good science being conducted. So, um, yeah, let's keep it clever and let's get rid of so much fear and replace it with curiosity. That would be my, my advice for what it's worth. Right, well, Jocelyn, thank you so, so much for uh, giving up your time to appear on the podcast. The, um, the listeners and myself do appreciate it. Thank you very much. Total pleasure. Have a fantastic school year. Thank you for listening. To continue the conversation, find us on Twitter at hashtag HouseChat. This podcast is part of the Australian Educators Online Network. AEON.net.au